Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Simone, it's hard to believe, but we've made it to the first day of fall. It actually sort of feels like fall for Louisiana. I know we're getting this like weird uh, beta rain storm slash I feel like I'm on the English moors or something, but I'll take it after the summer we've had and always I'm like looking the, forward to that, uh, you know, the gumbo weather and the sweater weather. This is like the never ending story, right? Like a uh, groundhog day. That was the, where things kept repeating, but I do have to say somebody emailed me about a meeting and I had to look at October and I was like, whoa, that's soon. And while this year seems never ending, it is a little hard to believe that October snuck up on us the way that it did. I don't know if it's just people needing an outlet, given everything, but I've seen quite a bit of Halloween decorations already out there. So, you know, it'll be here before you know it. But of course, we're thinking about, you know, this has been in so many ways a wacky, intense um, in, in many ways, unfortunate hurricane season. And we had Steve Caparata on the show several episodes back to talk about the more active hurricane season. I don't know if he at the time thought we would get to this place. Um, I certainly didn't myself, yeah. right? But <laughs> here we are with the Greek alphabet. Um, and we're certainly, you know, still thinking about the people in Southwest Louisiana who are having ongoing recovery as, as a result of Hurricane Laura. Uh, we have on our website a number of um, organizations that are doing on-the-ground relief. You can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Laura Relief. There's still an immense amount of need. And then, of course, we're watching because Tropical Storm Beta, which seems like it'll just be a rainmaker, is going to pass through that area again. So a lot to discuss there. And we hope to bring in some folks from Southwest Louisiana on an upcoming show to talk about how they're doing and really what they need at this stage of their recovery. Yeah, um, it can't be understated how much help they will need and for how long they will need help. That that recovery is definitely a marathon, and that um, folks need different kinds of help at different at different points. But um, we want to keep this show positive and upbeat, um, something to look forward to. And you know, fall means gumbo weather, right, Jacques? Or or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever kind of weather. So I'm happy to talk about some of the lighter things today and talking about our coastal community cookbook. Exactly. Yeah. We have someone on the show who we've had before, but it's been a while. Um, Usually it's always about a really fun topic involving food and chefs and cook-offs. So welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Samantha Carter, Outreach Manager with Mississippi River Delta Restoration and the National Wildlife Federation. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me back. So Sam, it's been a while since we've spoken. Certainly the last few months have not been normal um, for anyone. How are you doing? How are you hanging in there? And uh, yeah, just what have you been up to? You know, surviving, (laughs) making it work. Um, Definitely feeling more than grateful to be employed and have a backyard and some of these really simple things that a lot of people don't have right now. I'm uh, very, very grateful for, but, um, you know, definitely missing the planning in-person events. I think the last time I was on, we were talking about the cook-off, which was kind of like our last big thing before, 
COVID happened. Um, so definitely missing that stuff and, you know, taking people out on field trips and all that. Like life on Zoom just isn't, isn't quite the same. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um, and I know at the same time, you and your colleagues have been doing a lot to stay busy and keep people engaged around the issues of coastal restoration in light of our new uh, COVID um, reality or our, our at-home um, virtual reality. So one of those things is uh, this amazing community cookbook that has been launched recently. So tell us a little bit about the cookbook, how the idea came about, and, and really what is it? Yeah. Um, so we've been tossing around the idea of doing a cookbook for a while now. Um, you know, we had collected some recipes from past events that we've done from some of the chefs that we've worked with. And we always thought it would be really fun to do kind of a, a coastal restoration focused cookbook. Um, and then COVID-19 happened and, you know, all of a sudden we all found ourselves at home and cooking more than ever um, and looking for ways to stay connected to each other. Um, and so it kind of seemed like the perfect time to finally make this happen. Um, you know, and the, the idea of a community cookbook is kind of an old one. Um, you know, churches and civic groups have done them. Um, for a long time, particularly in the South. Um, and they're really just these, you know, traditionally there were these spiral bound, you know, paper um, cookbooks that, you know, people in a community would submit, you know, these very home friendly, you know, not professionally tested recipes, not photographed all fancy, but just kind of, you know, these recipes that, um, you know, people had and more often than not had a good story behind. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of just the perfect timing to kind of make this happen um, and create the Coastal Community Cookbook. It's such a cool idea. And I hear you completely on the, the preserving kind of the culture, the cuisine, and just the storytelling. I have a, a cookbook that my aunt put together that's a lot of different family recipes going back to, uh, you know, my great grandmother and others. And I'll flip through it at times and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to make this soup. And then I read a little bit about my great grandmother that, that she wrote. And it's just a way for, I think, people to connect from generation to generation, those stories, the, the, the food, the culture. So really exciting. And you all have really provided an innovative platform for sharing these recipes, right? So the recipes are all available online. They include beautiful pictures, all your ingredients. So tell us about what you know, it's not while we're not having, it's not a spiral bound cookbook yet. Uh, there is a really cool way that people can access the recipes and get more information about how to cook it. Yeah. So the recipes are hosted on our website, which is MississippiRiverDelta.org backslash recipes. Um, and there you can find all the ones that have been submitted so far. We've got some of our, um, you know, our pro chefs who helped get us started with some, you know, really amazing recipes. We got Isaac Toops up there. We've got Susan Spicer. Um, we've got some of our staff and some of our, you know, just our coastal advocates um, who helped us get the ball rolling with this and submitted recipes. Um, it's, it's fun. I'm excited to see it grow. I encourage everyone to go kind of poke around and see what's up there. Um, all the recipes are really different, which is one of the things I love about it. Um, you know, and they all have this 
piece to them about, you know, why the coast matters to the author. Um, and in that way, we're kind of collecting those stories and creating, they're kind of like time capsules, I feel like, you know, we'll look back on this someday and be like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. <laughs> and we all, you know, we were all in the middle of this fight and then to save the coast and then COVID happened and, and we have all these kind of cool, fun recipes um, to share. So to be fair, though, you don't have to be a James Beard award-winning chef to participate in, in, the, in, in sharing your recipe, correct? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, as you can see from mine, the one that I put up there, it's uh, called Oysters and Beer. And it is just walking you through how to open an oyster and open a can of beer. So don't be shy. You know, we know you have those recipes out there. You know, maybe uh, you learned to cook it on your own. Maybe, you know, your mom or mama or, or papa taught, taught you the recipe. Um, so we want to hear uh, from you and, and hear about your recipe and also what the coast means to you. Uh, Sam, where can people go to actually submit a recipe and, and check out the recipes that are up there? Yeah, so it's MississippiRiverDelta.org backslash recipes and that'll take you to kind of the menu page where you can see all the recipes that have been submitted so far um, and then you can click on any one of the recipes and again I encourage everyone to kind of click through them and, and read about all of them and read the stories um, and then at the bottom of each one there um, or actually sorry it's on the side you'll see add your own recipe and there's a submit yours button which will take you to a pretty short and sweet google form um, where you can submit your recipe and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you care about saving the coast. And Sam, on the website, there's also a connection to a previous Delta Dispatches um, topic that we covered with Louisiana Direct Seafood, and that's the online market for wild-caught, flash-frozen Louisiana seafood, or or they even tell you where you can pick up that fresh seafood. So um, y'all try to make the connection there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ideas with the cookbook is to really, you know, obviously highlight Louisiana ingredients, particularly those that are found on the coast. Um, and supporting local fishermen is always important, but obviously now kind of more than ever with so many restaurants closed or, you know, running at lower capacities, fishermen really kind of need all the support they can get right now. Um, and so, you know, we're hoping this is one way to kind of connect people directly to those fishermen um, and, you know, buy fresh local seafood um, while you're testing out some of these recipes and hopefully coming up with your own. So is there a taste testing event for Jacques and I only, <laughs> especially with the beer and oyster recipe? We've talked about this because we, you know, we want to... We want to make sure the recipes are accurate and yes, yes, we are looking for accuracy, Sam. Yes, yes. And Good like, work. what a fun job, you know? Like, let's test all these recipes and take pictures of them and do all that stuff. So, I think maybe we need an intern if you know one of you guys is available. <laughs> <laughs> I will apply. I, I actually don't know how to open an oyster, so <laughs> I I would probably need some help there. So I would not slice my fingers off. I, a beer, I, <laughs> I was going to say, Simone, I'll, I'll help you opening the beers. And I also volunteer as tribute to be an intern for the Coastal <laughs> Recipe Cookbook Taster. 
I also need some help for Thanksgiving dinner around this because there's like some, you know, oyster patty recipe where you got to buy the special little shells and, and things like that floating around my husband's family. So, okay. oyster, Jock, you have an oyster dressing or something, right? Yes, we're going to have to, I guess I'll have to submit that recipe, but we have an oyster dressing recipe that I think many uh, South Louisiana, Louisiana families have, um, but it requires the pastry shells that you, you know, you have to go to McKenzie's, which doesn't exist anymore, but there's the place on Harrison's that sells McKenzie's goods, baked goods, even though it's not McKenzie's. So yes, I've purchased the little shells from McKen- the pseudo McKenzie's and, uh, and made the oyster dressing recipe. It's, it's delicious. We need a good blackout cake recipe. Speaking of McKenzie's. No. That features Louisiana's bounty, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Simone's in the dessert category, Sam, in case you haven't uh, picked that up. <laughs> Love it. Uh, my, um, my mom and dad, I think we might have told the story. My mom and dad are huge blueberry people. They they uh, live, they have a house on the North Shore and they have a, a blueberry, I don't know, what's bog. I don't know what it's called. And so I certainly could contribute um, when it comes to some seasonal fruit items there. So... Sam, remind folks one more time where they can find um, the recipes that are already online, that Louisiana Direct Seafood Connection, and where they could submit their own recipes. Yes, you can find all that at MississippiRiverDelta.org backslash recipes. Awesome, Sam. Well, thank you so much for being on, but more importantly, thank you for all the work you're doing to support you know, chefs, restaurants, our seafood industry, and also just highlight the bounty that our coast provides. We, Simone and I talk about food a lot on this show, um, mm-hmm. but we know that, you know, you're thinking about it and helping to, uh, you know, highlight the bounty that comes from our coast. So we really appreciate it. And we well, look forward to having that. you back on, Sam, when your events kick into high gear. I know y'all are doing quite a few things virtually, and so we can find that on all of Restore Mississippi River Delta social media channels as well. Yes, thank y'all. Jacques, you have a fun question for Sam before she goes? Oh, sure. I guess my fun question for you, Sam, would be um, what is the recipe of a food that you've eaten in Louisiana that you most want to learn? Like if you had to learn and master one recipe, what would it be? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, You know, I think just in general, I really want to learn um, how to cook fish better and particularly fish collars. It's one of those things that you hear a lot about now, kind of in sustainable seafood stuff. I guess fish collars are traditionally thrown away, but there's actually a lot of good meat in there and you can get them pretty cheap from um, different outlets. I think you can probably get them. I know you can get them um, at different farmers markets and stuff and they have them on the menus at Pesh and stuff. And I'd really love to learn how to like cook those properly. Um, so I have an alternate fun question. I'm taking it in a little different direction. Um, Jacques and I don't agree with the Greek names for the alphabets. Um, <laughs> it needs to be something easier. So Sam, if you had to come up with a set of hurricane names, what would your theme be? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think maybe like Game of Thrones characters. Because they're all like pretty, you know, tough and, you know, know how to fight and not to be messed with, you know, but you still, you know, you like some of them and you're rooting for some of them, but 
Yeah. <laughs> if Hurricane Cersei <laughs> is coming through, you, you need to get out of town and just leave exactly. and get out of the way. See, mine was uh, Real Housewives. Uh, so <laughs> I, I said if Hurricane Ramona was coming through, then it was time to pack up and, and, and head north because you don't want to mess with, with Hurricane Ramona. So there's no end. But, you know, yeah, I think it's a, an interesting topic to explore. The Greek alphabet is it's a little weird talking about beta and gamma. I don't know. Gamma, gamma, gamma. <laughs> or no, delta, delta, delta. <laughs> delta, delta, delta. Can I help you, help you, help you? All right, Simone. Well, it's time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. So why don't you tell us who this week's Coastal Voice is? Yeah, this comes from Donnie in Lafouche Parish. Uh, Donnie says, I support the coast because the marsh is more than a place of commerce and recreation for my family. Our culture revolves around it. Failing to protect our coast is an act of cultural suicide for all of Louisiana and its people. So Donnie feels strongly about why he supports the coast. And don't forget that you can add your own coastal voice at MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast right back after the break with another segment of Delta Dispatches. Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Jacques, we always do these shows, and, and I, mean, I don't know if it's the time that we do them, but I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> it's always so hard. We talk about food so much, and it's usually not at, it's always right before lunchtime or right before dinner time. And so the whole time I'm just thinking about like what I'm going to eat for lunch. And it's usually not the delicious things no. we're, we're talking about. Like I'm sure we're going to talk about amazing gumbos and like all this other stuff. And then I'm going to go and have like a tuna fish sandwich or something for lunch. So. I, I totally hear you. Um, I, I feel sorry for Chef Jeremy, who's going to be on the line with this because we're just going to ask lots of food questions like we, we already have during the break about what he talked about in class this morning. Tell us about what <laughs> delicious um, thing you're cooking. But without further delay, we do want to bring on the, the line Chef Randy Jeremy. Welcome to the show, Chef. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. It's, it's glad to talk to you in person. We've, we've been looking forward to doing this. And so um, we knew that you were going to give us some great content for the show. So so let's dive right in. Um, we do want to talk about your background and growing up down the bayou. But um, we want to talk about current situation first. How are y'all doing at the university? How are your students doing? And how are you coping with this new normal? Yeah, the new normal, I'm not a big fan of, I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Who is? I know. You know. And I'm sure all education is is having a time of it, you know. Um, you know, when we went virtual back in March, you know, I mean, that, that doesn't really lend itself well to a, uh, a kitchen lab class that lasts four and a half hours, you know. So it was very difficult to do that. And, of course, students had to do a lot of stuff on their own and and show evidence and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and the only thing I couldn't do was taste it, you know, which uh, is pretty important. You know, I mean, I can tell if they did something right by looking at it because, you know, well-cooked food usually looks good, right? And, um, but uh, it still holds its, uh, it still has its challenges. You know, we, I usually have 16 students in a kitchen lab class 
and I'm um, I'm limited to eight now. So that means that I kind of double up on the content and have eight one week, and then I have the other eight the next week. So it's uh, it's not the best. Uh, it's the best we can do for now. And I think uh, as long as I get them in there cooking and understanding uh, a technique and whatnot, that's that's my uh, first priority, especially for that foundations class. And I'm I'm glad you uh, you know you said that about your students. I'm sure you're just like us, and and you yearn for this personal contact, right? Especially the kind of work that you do. That that's why you do it. And so, even if this new normal is is all about adapting, I'm sure you were just glad to be back there with them to to teach. Absolutely. I mean, our our whole industry is based on contact. You know, I mean, and and how. Uh, how chefs relate to each other in a kitchen is very important, you know? And uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to have some of that back. Maybe not like it was, but to, just to, to be with them and to see them. Of course, it, you know, this is a freshman class. They're all wearing masks. When the masks go away, I don't think I'm going to recognize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is interesting, right? To, Who are you yeah. again? Oh, chef, I was in your one. Oh, yeah, but I didn't tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the priest at our church talking about he teaches the seminarians, and he has not seen their faces. He said the exact same thing, Chef, is that he teaches, you know, 30-something seminarians, and he only knows them by their eyebrows. <laughs> Because I wear a shield, you know, it's a clear shield, but I don't see them at all. (laughs) Yeah, it'll it'll be a mystery, right, until the end. Well, so let's talk about your background. Um, You grew up down the bayou. You're part of that good Jeremy Bunch or the bad Jeremy Bunch. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, the the reason why the Jeremys can't have a a family reunion is that we can't afford the security. (laughs) 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 Too many fights, okay. Uh, I, I consider ourselves of the good Cherimese, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I come from Golden Medal, Louisiana, which isn't the end of the world, uh, but you can see it from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very, very rural, small community. Uh, uh, my family was a French speaking family. Uh, um, my sister, eight years older than me, spoke fluent sp- uh, French, but you know, when we were growing up, we were really... Uh, uh, we got punished for te- for for speaking French at school. So mom and f- mother and father, being bilingual, always talked English to us because they didn't want us to get in trouble. So, therefore, I can speak some Cajun French, but in re- in, in in context to food. <laughs> I thought you were going to say curse words. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that too. But um, but but you know, I, I had some. I was really blessed with great employees there. Most of them. Uh, uh, good Christian women that stayed with me uh, for a very, very long period of time. And, um, and I was so lucky to have them. But, uh, w- you know, one of them, Miss Zerigny, just spoke French. She didn't speak English at all. So I had to speak to her in, in French in regards of what I needed for her to do that day. So we got along fine. You know, I, I learned and, and, and she, she gave me the benefit of the doubt a lot of time. <laughs> she knew what you meant when you used the wrong word, maybe sometimes. Yeah, so. now and, uh, you know, and she, I was very blessed. I, now I kept a dishwasher for 15 years. Who does that? Nobody, you know. So being in Golden Meadow, Louisiana, you know, there's not a big labor pool. So we tended to keep employees for a long time. And so... And once I trained you uh, the way we or we trained you, because the, the restaurant was owned by my mother and father 
for about 38 years and I ran it for 20 years. So um, I, I inherited a lot of those uh, employees. They were looking at me a little strange when I first came in because he said, oh, my God, what, what's going to happen now? But I think I proved my worth to them. And uh, I kind of took that ratchet from being a little like a cafe in South Louisiana doing very simple preparations to a, a fine dining uh, restaurant. You know, not it's hard to get accolades when you're in Golden Medal, Louisiana, but we know we got a few. Um, but uh, I, I sold it in 81, and I've, so I've been teaching since – I haven't worked a day since 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 2001 <laughs> when I sold it. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's really true about that saying, if you love your work, you know, then you don't work a day in your life. And this uh, institute has been such a, a saving grace for me because uh, I, re I really love teaching. I, and, I, and, and, and that's what I loved about it was teaching. Now, I didn't come here to run the joint, you know. Uh, I, um, but you did. <laughs> well, I did for a while. Uh, you know, my president asked me to step up, and, and I did. And, but, um, but now I'm on my way towards retirement. I've been here 22 years. I'm 66. I don't like retirement. The COVID uh, uh, quarantine she gave me a little insight into that. And you have it, pal. Let me tell you that right now. But um, at any rate, uh, but I probably will retire in the next two or three years. And, um, and I'm doing what I came here to do, teach. And uh, no administrative duties. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so, so I get to be with the students. So, Randy, your dad, your dad was in. The, if I remember reading this correctly, your dad was in the service and came home and started started the restaurant. 1946. Yeah. So, did he always just love it? Like, what? Or, or was there obviously a, a need in Golden Meadow, and and he wanted? Well, this was the deal. You know, before the war, um, my family, you know, and his family really was uh, was always involved in, in in selling food. It was mostly street food. You know, but uh, but also when the you, you know we, we had enormous uh, shrimp sheds and an enormous shrimp canning industry down there, and uh, the father you know would, would on a bike would ride to the shrimp sheds and take orders, and come back and, and fill out. And my, my grandmother and great grandmother would make sandwiches, get a hunk of pie, maybe an NBC soft drink from Lockport, Louisiana, and uh, you know for twenty cents. And uh, and then he would deliver back, and, and you know that, that that sandwich was made on homemade uh, French bread, and uh, they were they really worked hard, you know. And uh, and it was a large family. There was always ice cream to sell in the summertime. But there was ever it was if there was ever a, a, a gathering of people in our little community of twelve or more, chances are somebody in my family was on this on the road near them selling food, uh, you know, outside the movie theater. Um, it was always something. So it was a natural progression. You know, when he came home, he just says, well, you know, and he had thought about it for a long time during the, his time. He spent seven years uh, in, the, in, in the army during World War II. And uh, he opened up a little burger joint, you know, and uh, it had uh, five stools and four tables. Oh, and, uh, awesome. I didn't know the full details of that story. So I'm, I'm glad I asked. Yeah, so he, and it, We didn't serve seafood uh, until 1959. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, seafood, seafood is what everybody had. Yeah. When everybody was going through horrendous times during the Great Depression, it wasn't it wasn't all, 
you know, peaches and cream here, but nobody starved, you know, because uh, food was just outside your window. It was in the water. It was in the air. It was out of the ground. I mean, we were, so, you know, blessed with, with such great natural resources. But seafood is something that people ate every day. People gave you seafood. You, know, you didn't buy seafood. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and they got sick and tired of eating it, you know. So uh, they came to the cafe to have a hamburger or a pork chop with French fries or a hamburger steak. Those were only three items on the menu. I, I love there. that. That's a great then, story. But it didn't have running water. And it had an ice box. I mean, a big homemade insulated box and a big block of ice and all the food stuffs were in there. Um, they all, only could take that for about a year. I mean, hauling water from a cistern from across the street uh, became very old. And uh, my mother said, if you don't uh, build us a building with running water, I'm leaving you. <laughs> <laughs> so we know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, right. So, and he did, of course. And of course, their, you know, in their first bedroom was just off the, re the, the, the restaurant kitchen. It was in that building, too. They didn't build a house until three or four years later, you know. Um, so you literally grew up in the, <laughs> the restaurant, baby, you know, and it was really weird. You know, no, it's, it wasn't weird. It was absolutely natural. You know, I thought everybody, you know, had breakfast in a dining room and got waited on by, by, by a waitress, a service person. You know what I mean? Because I did that every day. And, um, you know, I remember going to spend the weekend with a buddy of mine when I was six or seven years old. And we did great things. We went fishing. We rode horses. It was just a wonderful weekend. But that's not what I, I couldn't wait to tell my parents about. No, I, I wanted to tell you. know what those people do? <laughs> they eat around a table sometimes three times a day. <laughs> and only them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we did that uh, three or four times a year. Because you, you know, were, yeah, you were you were too busy being other people. So, um, so yeah, gathering around a table as a family, uh, it didn't come until 17, 18 years until they old, and they started finally taking a day off because it was seven days a week: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. When I took it over in in two thousand one, I did breakfast, lunch, and dinner for seven years. And I told my father, if I don't, you know, close for breakfast, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, like those those guys down the bayou get up at like four in the morning. They're like, I mean, their breakfast is is when some people are going to bed. Like it's crazy. I was, I was sleeping in two three hour shifts. I sleep three hours at night and then three hours in the afternoon, and uh, and that was it. And then um, and then what happened is that you know the you know uh, the eighties were tough. Because of the oil recession, and down there, oil is king as far as the backbone of the economic uh, region. And um, it was rough. I almost uh, closed down in 89. My father begged me to open the first quarter of 1990. I said, Dad, what are you, you going to see in the first quarter? First quarters are terrible. And he says, well, you know, how much money you owe? I said, a lot. He says, well, what difference does it make? You can't pay back what you owe anyway, so let's, uh, let's give it a shot. Well, it's like they turned the lights back on in Golden Meadow in that area. And people said, okay, let's shake off the 80s and let's uh, let's forge into the 90s. And, uh, and man, it came back and, you know, it was, it was remarkable. I was able to pay off uh, so much debt. And uh, uh, by 95, I was pretty much debt free. And, um, but uh, it was also because we were really, 
you know, we had that basic menu of, of you know, fried, grilled, and and um, and broiled uh, seafood, uh, and a few steaks, uh, sandwiches, and plate lunches at lunchtime. But uh, starting on Thursday nights, because so many people were going down there for fishing, for sports fishing, we put in a, an addendum to the menu that uh, eventually grew to this, where it, uh, it was about six or seven first courses. And, uh, and that could uh, be a, a special salad, a hot appetizers, cold appetizers, a special soup or gumbo. You could ostensibly get three or four courses from that thing I called first courses. About five or six main courses, three or four desserts. That changed every week. And so, and that was, you know, I got my crew really invested in it. And if one of my crew members said, hey, I, I ate something, I think I want to try it and, 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 and try to get it on next week's main. Well, buy the stuff, bring it to work on Wednesday and uh, we'll give it a shot. And if it's, if we all deem it good enough, then it goes on the, on the, on the, on the specials menu. And I give them credit for it, you know? So there you go. Um, Pretty democratic for a, for a (laughs) restaurant, right? You have to be, you know, and uh, um, you know, if you want to gain, if you want respect, you have to give respect. And, you know, my father taught me that and I learned the hard way um, not, not to raise my voice at anybody during, times of extremis because I said something to a, a woman uh, during a service time that <laughs> that uh, she still has not forgiven me for. So, um, and she was a friend and I lost her. I lost a good employment employee, but I also lost a friend. And, um, and so that taught me a very, very, very good lesson. And so, um, so no, it's, uh, there, there's, there's no, no reason to yell in the kitchen, you know, and, uh, uh, and that's what we teach our, our students as well. I was, but, I was going to bring that up, that that must be the invaluable lessons that you oh, get at the Chef John Falls Culinary Institute, right? Is what well, you know, life is like in these restaurants. And we always taught it, but the Me Too movement and uh, a few other things that happened to some really popular restaurateurs in the area and stuff like that, you know, it brought it to, to the forefront and with movements like the Fair Kitchens movement and stuff like that. You know, I mean, that was the way we always taught our students, you know, is the, you know, uh, to get respect, you have to give respect, and uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's just no, you know, the 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 work is hard enough. You don't need anybody, you know, losing their mind during service, and then it puts everybody on edge, and you're just taking a big step backward. And you you know, we all know that restaurant kitchens are controlled chaos, you know, and you got to keep moving forward, and and just doing the right things that are that, that keep you successful. So, um, so that's the kind of the things we teach our students. So, Chef, you you hit on it when you when you were telling the story about about making good things at your restaurant that people like, and the recipe that you submitted for our coastal cookbook is just seemingly simple: broiled seafood. And and I know when it got posted, the the Roar president, um, Mike Plaisance, who is from Golden Meadow, was like, "I've eaten this dish." hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So tell us about that recipe, why you picked that. It obviously um, was the centerpiece over at your restaurant. It's a recipe that, that reminds me the most of my father. You know, it was, that was his dish. I'm not going to take credit for that. And uh, and it's just as simple as simple can be. You know, it's let the product speak for itself. You know, I mean, we're again, we're blessed with some of the best natural resources. And that dish made with fresh trout and fresh Louisiana uh, shrimp and oysters 
uh, you do very little to it. And, you know, I used to have people that called me, it happened several times, people would call me for a quart of the sauce. I said, sorry, you're going to have to take the shrimp, oysters, and fish and go with it, you know? You got to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, and everybody said, man, that, that dish was great, but boy, that sauce was just unbelievable. And it's so simple. It's butter, it's lemon juice, and it's uh, a good, uh, you know, we use a, an imported Spanish cream sherry. And it was just, uh, it's a terrific dish. It really is. And it's, it's, uh, it's simplicity is, uh, is just a lovely thing to behold. It really is. So, Chef, you alluded to this earlier when you were talking about growing up and just the abundance of seafood and that no one ever really, you know, bought seafood. It was just always there. You also mentioned growing up in Golden Meadow, you weren't at the end of the world, but you could see the end of the world. So tell us about your, uh, you know, how you value Louisiana's coast and the importance of our coast as it relates to the cuisine and the culture and the communities, particularly in the area where you grew up. From my front door of my house, I could be fishing from a boat, catching fish, 10 minutes from my front door. Um, I grew up, you know, and all, you know, like we were just minutes away from a swamp, you know, and uh, or wetlands, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, growing up just fishing and hunting in that area was just such a big part of my my childhood, you know, uh, fishing with my dad and my brother, you know, was just um, going to our, our different camps that we owned and whatnot. I mean, it was a big part of growing up and about learning about nature and, and whatnot. And then it wasn't long and, you know, it was, it, it was, well, it was after I started traveling a lot, I, I started really realizing what a special place uh, this is. You know, and, and I've been saying for some time now that, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be a, I wouldn't want to be a chef anywhere else because of the natural resources that Louisiana gives us. You know, you're right. That's 7,500 miles of coastline, you know, that with all those little ecosystems and estuaries and everything is just a great growing ground for some of the best seafood the world has to offer. Now, I know I'm biased because I've lived here my whole life, but there is anything better than a Grand Isle oyster? You know, is there anything better than the soft-shell crabs that come out of Louisiana waters? I know the Maryland folks are really proud of their soft-shells. They can't hold a candle to our soft-shell crabs. Ours are fatter and just they just taste better. Why? It's because of the Mississippi Delta, you know, um, and, and, the, and the coastline. You know, I mean, uh, you know... Uh, a Creole tomato. Holy cow. You know, I, I mean, you can't get that anywhere else. Uh, not a, a, a tomato of such fragrance, of such moisture and, and such flavor. Uh, I feel sorry for other people that can't experience that. <laughs> well, they can come visit, right? They can come visit and enjoy yeah, it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But, our, you know, and crawfish and all the other great things that we that we have here, you know, I mean, but, you know, without the coastline, where would we be? You know, let, let me ask you this. What other region anywhere can there exist a restaurant that that uh, that uh, serves 10 fish a day, 10 different Gulf fish a day, a GW Fins? Fresh, yeah, fresh, right? Fresh. You know, where else can you can you get that? You know, I mean, um, you know, it's been said that if you if you uh, if you add it up, all the different varieties and species of fish to West Coast chefs and all the, the varieties uh, available to East Coast chefs and those poor guys that live in the middle, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they don't add up to what we have right here in Louisiana. You know, and that's just such a special thing. You know, and then, and then when you add to that the culture and and the people that live here and the connection we all have to to living on on this land on this on these waterways, it's just uh, it, it's like it, it's an experience like none other. You know, it, it's a funny thing. I, I often have uh, um, um, senior students come here come to me on their senior uh, chef my senior in, uh, internship, I want to use that maybe as a way of getting my first job. I said, that's great. You know, that's a, that's a good, good strategy. He says, well, I got to get out of Louisiana. I'm, I'm, I'm up to here with Cajun Creole. I mean, I got, I got to do something else. Well, you know, you really do where you want to go. He said, what do you mean? I said, pick a city. He says, you can get me anywhere. I said, if I don't know somebody, I know somebody who knows somebody. Where do you want to go? And I always get them place in the city they, they want to go. And then three or four years will go by. And then I'll get a call. Hey, chef, remember me? It's your favorite student. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll chit-chat. He says, well, uh, what's going on in New Orleans, chef? I said, well, guess what? New Orleans has done just fine without you. <laughs> <laughs> you want, you're looking for a job? He says, yeah, I really am. I said, okay, I'll hook you up. But, it takes them the prodigal going, chef, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, and look, I, I tell my students, says use me as an employment agency anytime you want. You out of a job, you call me, you're gonna get a job. No, no problem. Um, but it takes them going away, and, and if they have a connection, all right, a true connection, to really realize and appreciate how what a privilege it is to take your your place at a range in a, in a, in a great Louisiana restaurant, slinging some serious, serious food. All right. And it takes them to go away sometimes to realize that. So we're, you know, the coast without the coast, you know, where would we be? Oh my God. I mean, it's, it's importance. It's, it's infinitesimal, you know, it really is. So chef, we, we, you know, I, I agree with you period. There's not much to say there. I, I definitely agree. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that tells my kids that like, you know, it's just Tuesday somewhere else. Right. You know, and that, that, you know, this yeah. food that you get, like, I'm not really sure who goes to a red lobster, but somebody does. Right. You know, why would I do that when I'm used to getting an ice chest full of shrimp off the side of the road uh, or joke, um, not even a joke. Somebody saying the other day that um, after the coach O interview on 60 minutes about people riding around with ice chest in their car in case they see the shrimp man. Right. You know, so do you have some tips for our listeners who are not just here in Louisiana, but, but um, you know, the millions that are all over America, what can you give us some tips on buying fresh seafood? Um, where to get it? Where what to look for? Give us some some chefy tips about that. Okay, before the tips, I, do, I did want to uh, uh, relate to you another thing, and you said it that reminds me of it because of where we are, you know. And you have to understand, there's not many places in the United States that are like this. You know, that is that people in New Orleans or people in Southeast Louisiana will go to a great great restaurant. Not because it's somebody's anniversary, not because it's somebody's birthday or any other kind of special occasion. They go because it's Tuesday. <laughs> and, and why not? Right? And that's what I love about the culture, you know, because there's not too many cultures like that. I think it's because of the French culture has something to do with that. And the Spanish, you know, and, and you know, Spanish, you know, 
eating out is is a big deal. You know, you know, you go eat at tapas, you know, at uh, in, in the early evening, and then you sit down to dinner at eleven o'clock at night, and then it's okay. You don't have to go to work till ten. You have a siesta too. So what a way to live, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think that's that that's a uh, that's again that's part of the culture of, of of South Louisiana is that we have this this notion to wait. We gotta we gotta smell the roses. Let's stop and have fun now. Not wait till you know we we, we retire. To hell with that. We're gonna we're gonna live right now, and and I love that about our culture. Uh, as far as buying fresh seafood, you know, um, <laughs> that is so simple. You know, just let your nose be the guide. You know, Chef Tenny Flynn, when he you know the the chef over there at uh, at uh, at GW Fence, he buys who buys more seafood than him, right? And he's got a very simple way. When the when the when it arrives, he opens up the top of the box. He sticks his face in it, and he smells. If anything is off the slightest bit, they take it back. He almost had to buy twice as much as he needed, knowing that he was going to send back half of it. So, it, uh, so you just have to let your nose, uh, you know, guide you in, in, in freshness. You know, what I mean, because your nose won't lie to you. If you, if you smell anything off, whether it be shrimp, crabs, fish, I don't care what it is, you know, just uh, you want to smell the briny sea, all right? If you smell anything else, something's afoot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just that simple, you know, and, and I can, you know, of course, you want, in fish, you want to see really red gills and, and pretty eyes and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, soft shell crabs. You want them absolutely soft. You don't want them paper shell. You know, and uh, uh, you know, soft shell crabs are one of my huh, one of my favorite Good lord, we would do so many great things with them at my restaurant. We we coal smoke them, and uh, and then we'd uh, we'd all sometimes stuff them with a with a crab meat uh, stuffing, and then of course we had you know I stole uh, uh, Jamie Shannon's recipe from. Uh, the late great Jamie Shannon from Commander's Palace, which uh, you know, when I I ate there, he called his soft shell crabs golden meta soft shell crabs, and I said, well, I want one of those, and and it was so fat and it was just so big, I couldn't get over it, and and he gave me his recipe, and the secret is buttermilk. That's all I'm gonna tell you. That's, um, and it just it's the way I fried my crabs, and it was so good. We sold so many of those. Um, and so you just let your uh, your nose do the thinking for you as far as buying fresh seafood. Well, that's a great tip. I'm I'm in my head picturing a, a pop up restaurant, right? Just for the night <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, make you do all these things for charity and or in a secret place, not tell anybody, and you know, do it for. I really, I really wish I could do that. I have a new hip and a new knee. Uh, my right side is okay, you know. I got, but the new knee and the new hip is on my right side. My left side's trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, standing up long hours and doing that, uh, uh-uh. I've had people come to me, Randy. Why don't we open a nope? We get there, huh? No, 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 buddy. I like what I'm doing right now. You know. <laughs> well, Jacques, why don't you remind everybody where they can find the cookbook and find Chef's recipe? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find the absolutely delicious recipe that the chef mentioned um, on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Coastal Cookbook. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Simone, but I am pretty hungry right now. Uh, and I just have a vision of, of fat 
juicy, fluffy soft shell crab in my head. And I probably will for the rest of the day. So thank you very much, Chef. Yeah, I love those things, man. I really do. And there's um, different sauces we could do with them too. We did, we did a, a I stole a, a sauce from Bright's and uh, a smoked corn sauce. I did a little bit different than he did, but uh, but also a roasted red pepper blanc sauce that just went with that so well. Um, I miss a lot from my restaurant. I miss my employees. I, I definitely miss my customers. Um, but there's a lot that I don't miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to remind folks that, that Randy right now is at the uh, Chef John Foles Culinary Institute at Nichols. Um, it has um, is one of the only places, right, Randy, where you can get a bachelor's of science or an associate's degree. Um, and certainly here in Louisiana, that offers that, right, as a, as a Louisiana university. We're one of the, we're one of the, the only bachelor of science degrees in culinary arts in a public university in the United States. Um, and we're certainly the only one that has uh, part of their mission statement is, is teaching the, uh, the culture and traditions of, uh, of Cajun and Creole cooking. Um, you get a little bit of that in every class, but uh, I do teach the Cajun Creole class as well. And, uh, uh, that's the lecture I gave this morning uh, that we were talking about earlier on the on the English influence into into Cajun Creole cuisine. And um, but anyway, yeah, uh, that class, by the way, was taught by Chef John Falls for about seventeen years. He came in every week to teach that class. But uh, you know, with the opening of Chef of, of Restaurant Revolution, his his businesses are just exploding. So uh, he asked me to take that over. It was my great honor to be able to do that. Uh, and, uh, and I enjoy that class so much. And, and it, it, it's really great seeing those students have those aha moments, you know, when they say, ah, I get it now. And, you know, that, that's kind of cool. It's really good. I, so we, we, are, we are a little bit different from other culinary schools. And, and we're, you know, and our big difference is, uh, of course, is what, what we cost. You know, when you look at some of those other the big schools around the nation, the CIAs and the JNWs and stuff like that, you know, I mean, those tuitions, you know, that's a midsize uh, uh, Ferrari. Uh, you, you can come here, get get a Bachelor of Science degree, get a better education for a midsize Buick. <laughs> so, a great comparison. <laughs> I, know, I know you can, uh, Randy can see me because we, we do this visually so we can see it too, but over my shoulder is uh, every John False book, uh, every encyclopedia <laughs> that he makes. It's it's um, it's our go-to around here. He is amazing. I've heard him speak before in, in lecture situations and he's very captivating and he tells a, a really, really wonderful story. So chef, like, do y'all still have the restaurant where folks from the community could come eat? Do y'all yes, still have that open called, semester? Yes. It's called Bistro Ruth. It's named after Ruth Fertel of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse fame. Uh, after her death, uh, her, her foundation uh, bequeathed a sizable donation to us. So we named that after her and she was a big fan of the Institute while she was alive. And, um, it's, um, well, to our guests, it's a restaurant. They're coming out to have a, a dining. But for our students, it's it's a class in every sense of the word. You know, for the first few weeks of the semester, they're doing paperwork. They're, they're, um, they're, they're researching their recipes. They're, uh, um, they're, 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 they're making their recipe booklets. They're, they're, they're putting together their requisitions to buy all the food. And, 
And um, so that's there's a lot of paperwork. And every you know, every every culinary school has a restaurant, okay, of some sort. But the menu is pretty much the same every day. Uh, we meet our restaurant meets uh, at, at Tuesday and Thursday nights, and each night we meet is a different menu, because each night we meet we have different people in in different uh, in rotating uh, uh, roles of leadership. All right, so it's never the same executive chef every week. So uh, we want them to cook, and we want them to have a vested interest in what they do. So you know, this is their menu. It's not our menu. It's their menu. Now we give them guidelines, of course, and we and we, we guide them along the way. But um, it's it, when we say it's student run, we mean student run. They take the reservations. They they do everything. You know, and uh, all I get to do is at around three o'clock, uh, I walk into the kitchen and I have a service uh, set out for me right in front of, uh, of, of the service station, uh, uh, right uh, uh, in front of the pass out, you know, and uh, and they start feeding me each course. And I taste every course they're going to make that day. And uh, and I'll make recommendations Well, you need to do this, you need to do that. On the whole, In the very many years I've done that, I can only remember totally throwing out uh, one or two dishes. No, you ain't doing this at all. This is a total failure. That's very, very, like I said, maybe two times the whole time I've been doing this. It's just tightening up things, you know, and uh, uh, and they have usually an hour and a half to do that before service starts. So I really enjoy that, spending time with them and encouraging them. And um, it's a unique, it's a unique place. And then, you know, not only that, but we do different kinds of service. You know, we, there, I was bring up that I've been to a Russian service before. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, and we so we do do a, a, a but there, there's also a, a a buffet service, and then uh, several American type services where people you know call in and make a reservation. They come in at their appointed time in parties of two, four, six, whatever. And then uh, Russian service, yeah, is uh, seven courses. And it's uh, service à la Russe, you know, where which is a, a classical form of of, uh, of of service and uh, and the students always well chef where we would see this in the marketplace and uh, I said well the White House um, maybe one or two upscale country clubs might do this kind of service why you teach it chef well because it's classical service and and you're in university and when you come to university you study that which you love in a scholarly way and we we teach it because it's a classic. And the reason why not too many other people do it, because it's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, uh, you know, through the efforts of uh, uh, Don Caston, our, 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 uh, our uh, bistro uh, coordinator uh, and front of the house expert, um, it's, co- it's actually uh, uh, choreographed. It's a beautiful thing to see. Well, you've seen it, you know, and it's, 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 it's it is beautiful. If folks want to, um, if folks want to know more, they can go to the Nichols website and um, and search John Falls. You're right. They can go to the Nichols website, and if they want reservations, I think we start next Tuesday. Um, or yeah, next Tuesday, they can call uh, uh, 985-493-2700. 
for reservations. Jacques, okay. you and I will have to have a date. We'll go down there one day and we'll, uh, it's amazing. Russian service is really amazing. Well, get, your, get, get your reservations early because we, we would sell out real easy on under normal circumstances. Now we're just doing 50% of the dining room. So it's going to sell out quick. So good luck this year, this semester, you know, and, uh, we hope you, we hope you get in. We hope we have an in. We hope we know somebody over there. <laughs> I know somebody. Um, <laughs> uh, we've also uh, some students that weren't able to do their summer internships. We set them up something where they came in, and on Tuesdays they were setting up uh, these two menus that you could get to go. Oh, and, love that! Great yeah. idea. Great we, idea. Sell, we sold out of that every single week, and. Uh, it was that was uh, and they got some rest. They got some kitchen experience, which they really needed very much. That's great. Well, Chef, we end um, most of our segments with a fun question to get to know our guests a little better, which which we feel like we had a great interview with you. But there's a whole nother side of your life that um, folks may not know about. You actually graduated from Nichols with a theater degree and um, have been um, active in Louisiana's film scene. Right. You know, and I can, I could probably see some voiceover work and some things like that. So fun question is what is your favorite and least favorite Louisiana set film movie, whatever. Oh Lord! Don't give! Don't put me on the spot. Yes. Yes. Let me let me tell you this. You know, I I did do some film. Okay, I didn't do a lot of film. I did much more voiceover work than anything else. Um, but as far as film work was concerned, I I did that back when I owned my restaurant because I could get somebody to come and take my place. Okay, I got to go away for four or five days to do this film, and um, and then I'd call in three or four times a day, just worried about everything. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that I don't enjoy doing film work. Uh-huh. I like, I like the paycheck, but the actual, uh, doing of the work, which is, is just mind numbingly boring to me <laughs> because there's no, no scene is longer than 30, 40 seconds. Uh, cut. You know, it's okay. It's, uh, let's try it again or let's go to a new deal. And then, uh, so I go to my honey wagon and I'll wait until they set up and, it takes forever. And, you know, it's just so darn boring. And so, I, you know, I just decided once I came, started uh, uh, teaching that I wasn't going to do that anymore because uh, I'm a big believer in doing what I like. You know, money never really, affect, you know, affected me as far as what I was going to do anyway. Come on. I was an actor for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh so if I don't like what I'm doing, I'm out of here. And I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to uh, forego a, a teaching a class to go do a film. In no way, shape, or form am I ever going to do that. So, But I, saying that at the same time, I, I love doing stage work. So I've been just about on every stage in New Orleans. And uh, and so I still do that. My last show was at Southern Rep. Uh, I did uh, a show there uh, not too long ago. And so I still enjoy that. And I think... Uh, you know, fine dining these days is definitely theater. You know, think about it. You know, the lighting is set, the stage is set. You know, and everything is uh, the table is beautiful. A, a, a big uh, uh, reason that uh, for any kind of success would be because of timing, of getting the dishes. To, you know, so I think fine dining is theater, and uh, and I think doing one makes me better at the other. You know, so uh, 
I, I live a blessed life. I really do. I can't believe they pay me. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. I really am. I mean, uh, you know, I get paid to be on stage. I get paid to do a voiceover. I love doing voiceovers. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you wear. You just show up in a t-shirt. <laughs> and um, that's great. And, I, and, I, and I'm, uh, I'm very blessed. That I, and I don't, you know, I don't actively look for that kind of work. It comes looking for me sometimes, you know, and which is fine with me at this point in my my life uh that, that's okay that's all right. i i have expected belazare the cajun to come out of your mouth so uh, glenn pete's a very good friend of mine you know so i'll go with that <laughs> <laughs> he would be very very angry with me if i said anything else so, <laughs> I, mean, I, grew up, I grew up with glenn i was also thinking about all the bad accents <laughs> oh lord you hear uh, cajun accents you hear on tv so yeah. what was that remember the movie the big easy uh, <laughs> yeah. what I, uh... kevin costner big easy no it was or nicholas cage hey that's right nicholas cage is not, but he was that wasn't easy either. dennis quaid right that's it Yes. Dennis Quaid had the worst Cajun accent in all the world. Well, we thank you for being on the show today, Randy. It was really, really, really great to talk to you and, and to hear your background and what you're doing today and how all of that revolves around Louisiana's coast and community and culture. So um, I'll close out with our uh, coastal stat. Um, according to the Louisiana Seafood Promotion website, Louisiana's coast is 77,231 miles long, which is only 1% less than Florida and more than Maine and California combined. What do you think about that, Jacques? Pretty impressive and, and no doubt also home to some of the best seafood in the world. So I don't know about you, Simone. I'm starving. I am going to, you know, be thinking about soft shell crab the rest of the day, perhaps the rest of the week. So I'm so grateful to Chef Jeremy for being on and sharing his passion for our cuisine and our culture and our coast as well as Samantha Carter. So please go check out these great recipes, share your own recipe, and we'll be back next week on Delta Dispatches. See y'all later, alligators. Bye.